Welcome back to the podcast and thank you for joining. I'm Patrick and this is Boot and Brew, a podcast where I sit down and I talk about two of my favorite things, good coffee and the scary. If you're new to the show, on this podcast I talk about a few things, the paranormal, ghosts, cryptozoology, aliens, creepypastas, and even some serial killers from time to time. I wanted to take a second and let everyone know that I did change my name to the podcast. I used to be called Paranormal Coffee, but unfortunately another podcast came out with a very similar name, and to avoid all confusion, I decided to go with something a little bit more catchy and a little bit more fun, so here we are, I'm now booed and brewed. Everything stayed the same, so don't worry, it's still me, and it's still the same concept. Good coffee, the scary. I want to take another second to thank a few people. I want to thank my friends Sarah and Johnny for becoming Patreon supporters. I truly appreciate both of you outside of the podcast. You guys are such good friends to me, and I really appreciate your support. The next two people are my friends from the Outerverse podcast. They're a podcast that sits down and talks about pop culture and some nerdy things such as movies, video games, and shows, and just a great plethora of things that are just all pop culture and nerdy. So check them out. They're two amazing guys and you won't be let down. For this episode, I wanted to go with something a little bit scary, a little bit historic, a little bit mysterious, and definitely unsolved. So on this episode, we're talking about a colony that moved into an island. Their governor leaves to go get supplies. He comes back three years later and everyone's vanished. We're talking about the lost colony of Roanoke. Before I get started today, I want to give a shout out to Lone Oak Coffee Company. They're a coffee company out of Virginia, and they make some delicious products. I've actually had four of their products, and I love all of them, but today I'm drinking one of my favorites, and that is their El Salvador Honey Process. This coffee is being drank today with a, you know, my usual, iced coffee. I'm not very exciting in the summer. I love a good cold brew or an iced coffee, so... This is such a sweet black coffee on its own, I had to drink it as an iced coffee. The cool thing about this coffee is it's direct trade, so it comes straight from the farmer to the roaster. They actually had her story on their website, where she's from, her name, everything about her farm, and how the coffee is processed. This coffee is actually dried out in the sun, and it gets a pectin on it, and actually starts to ferment the bean, and it becomes this like thick honey-like substance on it. It's then washed and is then, you know, dried per usual and roasted, but it is absolutely heavenly, and as a nice coffee, it has this natural sweet flavor, and it's just amazing, and it has a honey-like flavor that I absolutely know and love, and it's one of my favorite coffees to drink iced. So yeah, that's it. Lone Oak El Salvador Black Honey, I think it's called, but it's delicious. Please go check them out. They're an amazing company and they're super, super kind. So shout out to them. So this was another hard one to cover just like Skinwalker Ranch simply because there is so much ground to cover. But I didn't want this episode to end up like that one that I had to turn into a series. Fortunately enough with Skinwalker Ranch, people went nuts over that and have requested more episodes with that. Um, I love doing that episode. My friend Sarah is so well-educated and such a great speaker to be on the show that I can't wait to do another episode. And people, like I said, went nuts over this episode. 
I had more streams on that episode in four days than I did an episode of the Jersey Devil one in four weeks. So we'll be continuing that one. But like I said, I don't want this one to become a series. So I kind of given an abridged version of the story and a little bit more simplified. So the story goes like this. In 1587, Governor John White makes landfall in modern-day North Carolina with 117 colonists. Where they landed was not originally where they wanted to land. They wanted to land further north closer to Virginia, but the ship's captain refused to go there and dropped John and his colonists there. They were there to pick up 15 men who had been left there from a prior settlement, but when they got there, they found that the 15 men were massacred. The colonists went into very hostile territory where prior to their landing, there was a not so good relationship with the natives. But luckily on their last trip, they took home a man named Mateo and he helped fix relations with the local tribes. The colonists realized that they're going to run out of supplies and will need to go back to get more. So John White sails back to England to get more supplies and bring them back, but he is welcomed home by, to England by finding out that they are at war with the Spanish. Unfortunately, his ship is needed and is used as a warship, and it takes him three years to get back to the colony with the supplies. But when he arrives, he is hopeful. He sees that houses have been built and the fortress walls are fixed up and still standing. After not seeing any activity or smoke from fires, he begins to grow worried. He goes to the settlement and finds that it's overgrown with grass and weeds and deserted. Guns are left around the settlement, and chests that were once buried with their contents are now broken open with their contents spilled all around them. Also, all of the expensive farm equipment is left there too. So an attack by natives seems a little bit implausible. White told the colonists to leave a sign of the cross in a tree if they were attacked, but instead finds the word crow carved into a tree and croatoan carved into a fence. He believes that the people have gone to live with Mateo and his tribe and abandoned the colony. He, he decides to go to the island of Croatoa and is unable to go there because of bad storms. He is forced to head home to England, and with his poor declining health, he never makes it back to his colony to find out what happens to his people and dies about three years later. There are quite a lot of different stories and theories of what happened to the colony of Roanoke, and I'll be going from the most plausible to the least plausible. The first one is that they did head to the Croatoan island with Mateo and assimilated into their tribe. In 2013, an expedition went to the Native American settlement and found a British sword handle, the barrel of a gun, lead shot, scraps of copper, a drawing slate, and a drawing pencil. In the 1700s, the discovery of Americans, I'm sorry, Native Americans with gray eyes who claimed to be the descendants of white's people were found and helped confirm what events had happened back then. While the British artifacts could have been from trading, the Roanoke colony could have traveled here so that they didn't need to suffer the harsh winters and the hostile tribes alone. The discovery of trash pits also show a change in diet from fish and turtles to deer and birds, which could show that the tribe had taught them how to hunt with European guns from the colony. The second theory is the not-so-nice theory, and it's actually the very opposite of the last one. The colonists could have been massacred, but this seems unlikely. Upon White's return, there are no remains found like the first time that they landed and found the remains of the 15 men that were supposed to be picked up there. 
but instead it was found empty and no remains of the colonists. This one I find pretty neat, and I really like this one. There was a 16th century map that was found and drawn by none, by none other than John White. What is crazy about the map is that it's in such good quality and is very, very accurate to the, the map of today, and the shorelines are about the only thing that is different. They say that this map was so spot on that it's pretty much 100% accurate. In 2012, X-ray spectrography and other imaging was done on the map and spotted a tiny four-pointed star colored red and blue concealed under a patch that had been used to make corrections. It was thought to be used to mark a spot about 50 miles inland. The star was hidden and could only be found kind of, well, let's just say Nick Cage National Treasure style since it was hidden. I think there's a lot of mystery behind this map, and honestly, a lot of videos and articles that I read didn't even mention this. So I kind of think that this is the creepiest aspect of it, is that this map isn't even really talked about. So I find this really neat, and I would love to hear more about this map, but unfortunately, there isn't a whole lot of, um, you know, info out there. Then there's the cannibal theory, which could be plausible. There's a theory that states that White not being able to come back with his supplies in a timely fashion, that the colonists had turned to something a little bit more desperate, desperate and began to eat each other. If you listen to episode 4 of the channel, you would know that eating flesh is not a good thing and can turn you into a skinwalker. But I digress and think that this doesn't make sense because if they did turn to cannibalism, there would have been some bones still around showing that they have been eaten. Hypothetically speaking, of course, there would have still been at least one colonist who was eating everyone, unless he was using the bones for tools and other things. But I would imagine that, you know, humans are pretty big and there's a lot of bone and that would take a lot of time to use. So that ends the plausible ones. And now we're moving on to the strange, weird and out there ones. Aliens. Of course, it's aliens. I feel like there are a lot of things that are not able to be explained, so we naturally turn to the alien theory on all of them. Just because it's easy and there's no proof really needed. That's what makes this one out there and hard to believe for me. There were no crop circles or anything that even shows evidence to aliens whatsoever, and I feel like it's just an easy cop-out to slap onto it and add to a list of theories of what could have happened to this lost colony. I really do believe that this is just not the real thing that happened. I do believe in aliens, and I do think that they exist, but there's just no evidence even pointing towards this one. So this next one kind of follows along the lines of the cannibal one. Well, kind of at least. This one goes, well, zombies. There's a theory that states that the colonists were infected with a zombie virus and began to eat each other, turning one another one by one, and that it did not spread because they were stuck on an island and could not go anywhere. But just like the cannibal theory, I would argue that there A, would have still been bones to be found from the bodies that were eaten, and B, the living dead would hypothetically still be walking around there too. For me, I like two theories. I really like the zombie one because it's silly and it's fun. I just think it's, of course, not plausible because there aren't any zombies unless you count that Florida man who was walking around eating people while he was on bath salts. 
But the one that I truly believe is that the colonists were assimilated into Mateo's tribe and probably started to reproduce with the tribe and then slowly became the gray-eyed Native Americans that were found in the 1700s. Sorry, guys, I wish I had something that was a better theory, but that's just the one that is easiest to believe in and holds the most water to plausible. This was an amazing research project for me to do, and there was a lot I would have loved to continue to talk about. I still wonder if there are other theories out there that could make sense, but until then, I guess we're left with the f- an unsolved mystery, and actually the first of America's unsolved mysteries. So maybe one day we'll get more. There was a lot to do and a lot to cover and a lot more that I wanted to talk about. I want to go more into the detail of that map, and I wish I had time to, but there honestly, like I said before, wasn't a whole lot of information. A lot of these videos and a lot of the articles didn't even cover it. There was only one or two articles from like National Geographic and the History Channel that even talked about it, and they didn't even really go into great detail other than what was found on the map and what it could have meant. What I do find crazy is that John White's map was so detailed and so close to what the actual map would have looked like. It was so accurate other than the shorelines being changing because the shorelines do change. Other than that, this honestly could have been a very close representation of what the land looked like then. So I really appreciate you coming to the history lesson by yours truly and for listening to my first non-paranormal podcast. I want to take a second to again thank my friends Sarah and Johnny for becoming supporters of me on Patreon. And I want to give another shout out to my boys in the Outerverse podcast. They rule. Like I said, please go check them out. They're amazing dudes who talk about some awesome stuff. I also want to give a shout out to Naughty Dog who made probably my favorite game this year in The Last of Us Part 2. This game is, again, zombies. If you like zombies, go check this game out if you have a PlayStation. It's one of the best games. I'm in by no means endorsed by Naughty Dog, because I wish I was, but I love the Uncharted series, and I also love the Last of Us series, and they're incredible games. I also want to give another shout-out to Low Note Coffee Company. Again, if you like coffee and you're looking for something delicious, go check them out because they make a damn good cup of coffee and are honestly one of my favorite coffee roasters. They're out of Virginia, so you can pick their stuff up nationally. They do coffee subscription services, and it's wonderful. And they even have a geisha coffee, which is a highly sought-after coffee and is one of the most expensive coffee beans. I think I spent close to $16 or $17 before shipping for just about six ounces of coffee. But let me tell you, this coffee is the best coffee I've literally ever drank in my life. Geisha coffee is no joke. There's even some cups that go on the upward of like $1,000 for a six ounce cup, which is insane to me. I would never spend that much on coffee unless I, I don't know, had crazy amounts of money. So maybe become a Patreon supporter to me at Boot and Brood is the, you know, it's patreon.com backslash Boot and Brood. And then also follow me on social media. I use Twitter and Instagram and my handles have changed since I changed my name. So it's just Boot and Brood, no apostrophe. So it's Twitter, Boot and Brood and Instagram, Boot and Brood. Pretty simple now to find me. And please follow me. I try to interact with as many people as I can. And if you're a coffee roaster, please 
contact me if you would like your coffee reviewed. I'll buy some or you can send me a sample. I'm trying to save some money. Buying coffee is really expensive when I'm spending almost $100 a week on all these different coffees. So if you're a coffee roaster, please send me something. I would love to review it and I'll give you a shout out. And also if you want a coupon code handed out to people, I'll give a a coupon code. I can't talk today. Coupon code to people who love coffee just like myself. So thank you again. Thank you for joining my first non-paranormal podcast. And this was an an unsolved mystery one. So thank you for joining. I truly appreciate it. And I can't wait to see you guys back on the next episode of Boot and Brood.